When you think of family, what comes to mind? What traditions, quirks, what memories pop up for you? When I think of my family, particularly throughout my childhood, I think of dad jokes, among other things. And true to form, my dad had the daddiest jokes of all. So what better way to start off a fresh serving of OCD family time than with a few dad jokes? I want to note that I'm pulling some of these dad joke gems off of my father's Bad Joke Friday series that he likes to post on Facebook. And while it's almost certainly not his original work, I think fair use can be applied because there's a good chance he combined one or more jokes to... <clears throat> elevate the jocularity. So in a way, it may be original to him after all. But I want to acknowledge any anonymous authors out there that have contributed to the overall dad joke flavor. We see you, we hear you, and we thank you. But who are we again? Well, you and me, of course. And whether it's your first time stopping by or a return visit, let me say welcome. Come on in. Make yourself comfortable and let me introduce myself. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family. The OCD family, that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words, and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. Did you hear about the guy who went into the doctor's office with a piece of lettuce hanging out of his bum? The doc takes one look and says, it looks like you really have a heck of a problem. The guy responds, don't you know it, that's only the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> a big thanks to Malcolm, one of my editing software's handy helpers that really captured that dad joke vibe. I'll be sprinkling some more dad joke gems throughout the episode because if the dad joke doesn't come out of nowhere, is it really even a dad joke? But hey, how about one more while we're at it? So, a grasshopper goes into a bar and orders a drink. You know, says the bartender, we actually have a drink named after you. The grasshopper replied, really, I've never heard of a drink called Lester. Oh, Lester. Oh, Malcolm. You still got it, buddy. And with that, let's get into today's content. I have to say, I'm brimming with joy over the guests that are so graciously lining up to support and share resources with all of us. And hey, I love learning more from friends, colleagues, amazing mental health advocates, and more. But I was thinking about some of the stellar guests that we're going to have the privilege of talking with, and it dawned on me that before we build this metaphorical house for our OCD family community, there's a bit more foundation work to do. So when you think of OCD, what does that represent for you? Because even if you're an OCD sufferer or the loved one of a sufferer, chances are you're painfully aware of their OCD struggles. And while that's no small thing, there are actually many subtypes of OCD that can affect a person. If you're new to OCD altogether, you may be pretty surprised to find out that OCD doesn't just mean washing your hands or, I don't know, you like to organize things. So I think this would be a great launching point for today's content. But before we start going through different subtypes, I want to familiarize everyone with two terms, egosyntonic and egodystonic. 
Now, if anything else, take note of these words, because they certainly sound fancy, and they could make for a triple score in Scrabble, I'm sure. Dictionary.com defines both terms well, so let's take a look. Egocentonic is defined as, quote, of or relating to aspects of one's behavior or attitudes viewed as acceptable and consistent with one's fundamental personality and beliefs, end quote. Translation, I want you to think of a 90s boy band in sync. That's right. That's all I ever wanted. That's all I ever needed. So tell me what to do. Uh, mm, the moves. The moves. So NSYNC has the moves, they have the choreography, they have the rhythms, they all play in concert, no pun intended, with the identity of the participant. You could say that they're in sync or syntonic with you. So egocentonic means your thoughts, behaviors, and overall attitude are in sync with your experiences. They match. Egodystonic, on the other hand, means, quote, of or relating to aspects of one's behavior or attitudes viewed as inconsistent with one's fundamental beliefs and personality, end quote. So my little memory trick here is to think about how dystonic kind of sounds like the word distant. And when we have egodystonic thoughts, images or urges, it means there's a significant difference in how we experience them. Instead of the actions or behaviors feeling in sync, they're inconsistent or really distant with your fundamental beliefs and who you identify to be. Ah, distance. These distinctions are important because when it comes to OCD, intrusive thoughts and obsessions are egodystonic. And this can often help with delineating the, I don't know, is this OCD thought or something else kind of question. As we go through some of the subtypes, it will also be important to keep these definitions in mind. Because questions like, is this really my loved one's OCD? Or are they simply alarmed about their dating relationship? Because what if it isn't right? I mean, isn't that kind of the point of dating? Figuring out if it's the right relationship for you? Or say the OCD sufferer that battles questions like, what if I'm gay? Or what if I hurt somebody I loved? Now, let me be clear. I definitely, definitely am not saying that if you're gay, for example, you believe that because you're OCD. No, 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 no. And I'm not saying that you won't experience distress, especially if you're in an environment where you experience shame or condemnation as a result of just being who you are. But if you're gay, then experiencing thoughts, feelings, or actions consistent with your sexual identity are not egodystonic. Rather, they are in sync with who you know yourself to be. It's the what-if statement, if it's lurking and causing distress, that can tip us off that OCD is present. And you know, as I've mentioned before, OCD shows up in areas that are really important to you. So if you value safety or keeping loved ones safe, then it can show up to say they are in danger. And it's probably all your fault. If it's religion, then maybe you've committed the ultimate sin and you will suffer eternally for it. So with these lenses, let's explore the different subtypes a bit further. Never trust an atom because they make up everything. Nice one, Malcolm. Yes. And fitting too, as OCD compels the sufferer to compulse in exchange for survival. And ultimately, you can never trust the outcome. Ugh, OCD, such a jerk. So when we're talking subtypes, you can find a myriad of resources on the interweb sharing their ideas of what makes the list. But I'm pretty loyal to the International OCD Foundation as a resource. They have put in the research 
time, and training to better support the OCD sufferer, their families, and professionals specializing in this area. I have built my competency as an OCD specialist from IOCDF, and I'm proud to be a professional member of this organization. So I'm going to broadly overview a myriad of different content areas within subtypes where OCD can show up. And I want you to reflect on whether they fit the idea of what OCD means to you. Also, I want to let you know that I'm publishing the link to IOCDF's website where you can actually read more articles about any of the content areas within subtypes that you're curious to learn more about. So you can find that on OCD Family Podcasts under this episode's podcast. First off, we will start with the subtype of violent or sexual obsessions. This can include but is not limited to pedophilia, OCD, parents hurting their kids, kids hurting their parents, partners or spouses hurting their significant other, hit and run OCD, intrusive thoughts of killing self or others. Any or all of these thoughts are unwanted, highly distressing, and not consistent with the thinker's values. Does that ring a bell? Ding, ding, ding. They're egodystonic thoughts. You're right. Another big subtype is contamination. Contamination is what people tend to think of when they hear OCD. Well, this and being organized, but we know better, right, family? Right? But what does that really mean? Well, contamination OCD can be complex, and it can virtually tailspin in endless directions. But the basic premise is that by exposure to a contaminating source, whether it's germs or, hey, what about bodily fluids, cleaners, pets? Oh, radioactive material, definitely radioactive material. Yeah, any of those things could harm or bring harm to someone that you love. So what if 5G and its radio frequencies will cause brain damage? And, and what if that spot over there that kind of looked like water but could actually be saliva? I mean, what if it makes me sick? And what if I get a terminal illness? Pair these type of thoughts with either decontaminating or avoidance compulsions, and you've got yourself a subtype. Dr. Carol Hevia even shares about the idea of emotional contamination within this subtype. Her article is one of the many fascinating reads you can find linked with that IOCDF resource page found at ocdfamilypodcast.com. We already talked briefly about sexual orientation OCD, and we alluded to relationship OCD, but what is relationship OCD, or ROCD for short? Well, it's when the OCD thought loop butts itself into your intimate relationships, and let me tell you, it makes for quite a crowded party. I mentioned earlier that it's a normal part of dating to evaluate or even doubt the fit. In fact, I'd argue this is a healthy egocentric part of dating. And some doubts or relationship anxieties are to be expected, right? Sure. But let's lean into the havoc that our OCD creates, shall we? It's no longer in sync and aligned with your values of what typical dating fears and anxiety could be. Instead, it leans into the real or imagined flaws which create concern, distressing concern, and doubt, impairing levels of doubt, and worries, time-consuming, ever-looping, never-ending worries. The intrusive thoughts can show up around the age that you start crushing on somebody, but often they can have even greater effects later in life. They can dwell on your partner at the time or venture back to ex-partners, but what about intimate or close relationships that aren't of a sexual nature? Well, ROCD can show up there too. 
like between parents and children, people in their higher powers, etc. It's different than religious scrupulosity, which is another subtype we'll explore soon. And in Dr. Doran and Dr. Derby's 2014 publication on the matter, again available through my IOCDF link, we learn that ROCD can present as relationship-centered or partner-focused. In fact, often they can occur at the same time and even negatively reinforce one another. A cocktail of extreme beliefs mixed with the importance of that thought that, I don't know, you had, which must mean something, yields greater uncertainty and a huge sense of responsibility about solving these worries correctly or else. Man, I like a good cocktail, but not all cocktails are good for you. And this one can definitely mess you up. Beyond these subtypes are a few more self-explanatory ones, such as sensory motor obsessions, where you perceive danger, worry, or threat based on a somatic cue. This can also be just right OCD or teretic OCD, where one tries to hit a virtually impossible moving target from a sensory perspective. Perfectionism OCD includes obsessive fears about making a mistake or getting something wrong. And we're not just talking about wanting to do a great job, a perfect job. We're talking about doing the darn thing over and over and maybe even over again only to see the imperfection. And you know what? Maybe just scrap it completely because it's not right. There's perinatal OCD, which involves symptoms and fears that can span from pregnancy until a child is one years old. Most people have heard of postpartum depression, but really perinatal OCD, anxiety, and depression can start well before and after the child is born. And while some people have theorized that perinatal symptoms are caused or triggered by fluctuating hormones as a result of pregnancy, breastfeeding, postpartum healing, the reality is perinatal OCD can affect both men and women. In fact, I have a guest coming on the podcast soon to share his journey about OCD, which correlated with the birth of his twins. Some anxiety is normal for any new parent, even intrusive anxiety. But what happens when it sticks? And where did we come up with this idea that it only lasts until the children are one years old? I mean, researchers have to stop the clock somewhere, but OCD follows no such rules. Also, it's worth mentioning, in cases where you have experienced infant loss, whether a result of infertility, miscarriage, stillborn, or SIDS, some of the anxiety or distress you experience can be deeply tied into some very real, very raw trauma triggers you've experienced. But OCD can also run amok with compulsions that you must do or this child will die too. The pregnancy will end. It wasn't your fault. It isn't your fault. And it's so hard to parse out those pieces. And I would highly recommend seeing a qualified mental health provider with training in both trauma and DRP to help address the overwhelming, incredibly scary fears that can haunt you at the least suspecting times. While I don't recommend ERP for trauma-centered therapy, a clinician trained in both can help differentiate what would be most helpful. Existential OCD also sometimes referred to as philosophical OCD, can also pose quite a bit of distress. I think it's fairly normative to explore what's the meaning of life, or after the birth or a death of someone you love, you often start to think about your own mortality too. But what is death? And what happens after death? And what is the meaning of life? or existence. This can branch into and co-occur with scrupulosity as well, but it can also be mutually exclusive. But now that I've referenced scrupulosity for a second time, I do think it's important that we explore what it is a bit more. 
IOCDF has an amazing scrupulosity fact sheet that you guessed it will also be linked on ocdfamilypodcast.com under this episode's podcast. But to give you the idea in a nutshell, it's a version of OCD where the sufferer has excessive concerns that they did, thought, or didn't properly repent or absolve themselves from a quote-unquote sin, resulting in an assault to their religious or moral foundation. Compulsions can manifest as behavioral or mental compulsions, often co-occurring and stirring up agonizing distress for the sufferer. Scrupulosity doesn't impact one religion over another. In fact, it can attack an atheist or a non-religious person as well. Overall, we have a desire to be morally good people, and scrupulosity attacks the idea that what if you aren't moral? What if you're not kosher? What if you are blasphemous? What if you practice a doctrine of confession, but your confession wasn't good enough? What if you prayed wrong? What if you committed the unpardonable sin? What if you're going to hell? You can see how scrupulous OCD has that perfect fat and trimmings to hang with existential OCD. And you, as the family member, best friend, co-worker, church friend, what do you do with that? There's no rationalizing with OCD. No amount of scripture, texts, or prayers can ever satisfy it. And why? Because you're trying to rationalize with a brain loop. Remember back in grade school science, your teacher might have given you some wires with clamps on both ends? Well, one end may connect to, say, a battery, and perhaps another end can connect to a light? Now, imagine creating a closed circuit with these tools. Perhaps we throw in a switch and we see how the circuit works. Well, let's apply this seemingly clunky analogy to OCD. Can I talk that battery out of not working? I could give it a lot of good reasons why it needs to turn off. I could warn it that it's going to drain its battery. I could reason with it that we don't need to turn the light on, that we won't even be in the room. I mean, I could justify that the day is over, so just turn off already. But will the battery turn off? No. And why? Because that's not how it works. I can't talk a battery out of turning off. The circuit literally needs to be interrupted or I need to use my switch. But what if I show the battery the instruction manual or maybe play a video from my smartphone of it turning off in the past and being perfectly okay? You see, battery, you've done it before. You're capable of doing this. Hmm. Ooh, I've got it. What if I research batteries and how they work? And I educate them on their functionality and how they can turn on and off. And um, if they run indefinitely without shutting off, they'll die. I mean, well, that's cheery and a lot to take in. But the problem remains the same. Without interrupting the circuit or using the switch, the battery cannot stop unless it literally runs out. And compulsing, maybe in the form of flickering said switch, might give ever so temporary respites from the battery being on but it's still draining to you and the battery, and it doesn't stop the problem. There's pans and pandas, which may sound like we're taking a trip to the zoo, but we're not. It can definitely be a bear, though. Pans and pandas present after certain medical or autoimmune issues are triggered in the body. The sudden, fast, and furious onset of OCD symptoms in pediatric cases is the most common indicator that pans or panda is at play. And while the initial link within pandas related to children with strep infections having a sudden onset with OCD or tick disorders, 
PANS can also evidence similar symptomology in relationship to other non-strep-related infections. The idea in both cases is that an infectious disease or virus trigger neuropsychiatric symptoms. The presentation can show up and deteriorate so quickly that it often leaves shocked and panicked parents in its wake, let alone the sufferer. If you suspect PANS or PANDAS could be the source of your child's OCD, it's pretty important to connect with both a medical and a mental health provider. I should note, though, anytime you or someone you care about is considering therapy, I always recommend a medical evaluation as well. Why? Because anxiety, irritability, restlessness, brain fog, memory loss, sexual desire, or lack thereof, I mean, the list could go on, and it can all relate back to hormones like thyroid or increased or decreased blood pressure, sleep apnea, you name it. That doesn't delegitimize your experience of mental health symptoms, and my definitely biased approach is that therapy should be paired with good medical treatment as well. But it's worth highlighting, and not only in the case of pans and pandas. So how was that for a roundup of the different subtypes of OCD? Did you learn something new? And wait a minute, where was that one about liking things all organized and stuff? (laughs) Well, since we're all now definition superstars, we know that if we're saying we like something, then that would mean it would have to be egocentric with our values. And OCD is not egocentric. Interestingly enough, handwashing and creating a certain order or disorder can exemplify compulsions, but as it relates to what? The common assumption for handwashing is germs, but the handwashing could be linked to a myriad of intrusive thoughts like, I don't know, keeping your cat from being poisoned. It may not make sense to you, and it doesn't have to make sense to you. Sometimes obsessions and compulsions can seem very logically linked, or they can manifest in magical ways. I mean, remember how our pushy, sharp cheddar cheese was going to push my son off the Burj Khalifa? Or what about order? Say all your clothes have to hang in your closet, but only on wooden hangers. And do they all need to be 1.5 inches apart? Order can manifest a lot of different ways, but for the sake of this example, what function do the hangers serve? Maybe it's preventing contamination, because if they aren't placed this way and routinely checked, the clothes could fall off the hanger and get contaminated by the floor. And then you could wear the contaminated clothes, which leads to an allergic reaction to your mother, and she could die. Or maybe it's not about contamination. Maybe it just won't feel right. And if it doesn't feel just right, then you're going to feel very distressed. And if you feel very distressed, you might have a heart attack. Or what if you had a stroke? Because you know you just read that article about how heightened and prolonged periods of distress are a leading cause of stroke. P.S. I just made that up. But you get the point. What if you survive, but you can't move the left side of your body? What if you can never hug your kids again or, or ride a bike? What if? What if? What if? Oh. This may sound pretty sensational, and hey, the sufferer may even be the first to admit at times that they know it couldn't actually happen, but they still feel held hostage by the compulsions. And I would say those can sometimes be more of the triggering themes, because they know, they know this act, this thought can't stop it, and yet they can't not do it. They can't not think it. Because what if, what 
if? What if? So how do professionals figure out what themes or subtypes a person is dealing with? And do they ever change? Well, the answer can vary. Clinical interviewing, for one, can tell you the different areas where OCD has popped up in their life. And often, if the sufferer is aware that OCD is the culprit to their distress, they can chronologically give you an account of the different subtypes they've experienced over time. Occasionally, there will even be an overarching subtype that has been stuck with them through it all. But even in these circumstances, there's often a lot of variability regarding different themes that pop up or quiet down through different stages of development, puberty, life experiences, and so on. Folks sometimes report seasons where they may have felt nothing. Or maybe they report times where they were engaging in higher-risk behaviors just to self-medicate and numb out from the noise that OCD blares in their mind. Other folks will tell you they haven't had a second of relief in all their time with OCD. Everyone has their own journey. And if you recall from prior podcasts that the average person doesn't receive help anywhere from 14 to 17 years on average after OCD symptoms have started, then it makes sense why people can typically share a fairly rich history about their OCD. My main go-to as a part of the diagnostic interview process is called the Yale-Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale, also known as the Y-Box. Y-Box. The Y-Box and its companion measure, Cybox, which is the children's version of the Yale-Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale, is an evidence-based screening tool which helps to determine the severity of a person's OCD symptomology. Through my Behavioral Therapy Training Institute certification, I was privileged to be given access and permission to use the Ybox and Cybox too. This measure builds upon the original tool's ability to not only target key obsessions and compulsions being experienced by the sufferer, but it additionally tracks the avoidance measures that folks often experience in their journey with OCD as well. It's important to me to know that psychometric measures are empirically grounded through research that can vouch for its utility. Translation? Yes, please. Essentially, what I'm saying is this. If I'm using this tool, I better know it works. And if I'm administering this to others, they better be able to count on it too. And hey, this is the tool that just keeps on giving. Aside from the meteor portion of the scale, there's a 10-item questionnaire that determines a baseline for severity at the start of treatment. But we can re-administer the scale intermittently throughout treatment to measure progress as well. So instead of subjectively reporting, I think it's getting better, we can actually show that it is getting better. And what may feel at times like small creeping progress or incredible leaps forward is actually measurable. And when you can see it with your own eyes, I mean, wow, we really are making progress. And that can give you extra confidence or just even boost you when you're feeling tired or wondering if this is all worth it or even considering throwing in the towel. There are other measures out there too. These tools work well for me, but others may prefer to use something else. Either way, I recommend that whatever you use, it has some good data behind it. I think evidence-based treatment is really important for a number of reasons, but specifically when it comes to OCD, I think the nature of this disorder makes it all the more important. Why? Well, because you come to therapy and maybe you even feel great as long as you're um, in therapy. But what about when you reach remission? Or uh, what if you feel like, you know what, I got this. I'm ready to fly my own plane here. Yeah. 
only to realize you'll miserably crash after you're out. And what's worse for once you do get out? Like, what if you bottom out and this is the worst you've ever been? Is there any hope for you? Is your therapist even still working? Can you still see them? If you can just do therapy, then maybe you can survive this. Oh, if you can just do therapy with them, because they're the only ones that get you, well, then maybe you'll be okay. Maybe you'll never be able to fly this plane on your own. What were you thinking? Maybe you have to be in therapy and you have to be with this specific therapist or you will not survive. Does this sound eerily familiar to you? Because it certainly sounds like a compulsion to me. The intrusive thought is you can't survive this, whatever this may be, without therapy. And while therapy can be very helpful, OCD can turn it into a compulsion so sneakily that neither you or your therapist are even aware of it. I feel like this happens more so outside of the ERP world, especially within psychodynamic treatment models or talk therapy where the OCD diagnosis can easily be missed and maybe the client is being treated for the co-occurring anxiety or depression instead. But this can happen inside the ERP world too. And hey, I just want to say, I'm not knocking other treatment models here. My roots are dyadic reflective therapy, and I don't mean this in a conceited type of way but I think I was a pretty good talk therapist. And I'll be the first to tell you, I was guilty of this until I wasn't. I couldn't know what I didn't know. But as I started learning more about how to recognize, diagnose, and even treat OCD, I started to examine my work through a different filter. And we all know about filters. I mean, some people have never even posted a picture in their whole life without a filter. Just kidding. Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) My kids personally love the one that gives like cat ears, for example. I mean, what's not to like? Unless you don't like cats. (laughs) Hmm. So what if talk therapy becomes reassuring or checking or mental reviewing for the OCD sufferer? Therapists aren't the only ones that can fall in this trap, mind you. What about a partner that's just trying to convince their significant other that they will never cheat on them? What more can they say? What more can they show? Come on! Or are we just sucked into the spiral that is reinforcing the sufferer's OCD loop? Again, OCD knows no bounds. So does this mean you should worry if you or your loved one has been in treatment for more than a few months? What about years? What about like 10 years? Are you just compulsing? Okay, okay, okay. Hold up. Hold up, hold up. I'm not saying if you've been in long treatment, this is the case. And honestly, even if you've only done short-term acute treatment, this can happen. I simply mean OCD is so atrocious that it can even turn something like therapy into a compulsion. Ways we can watch out for this as providers is to keep a pulse on our client's progress, which, I mean, I would expect we're all doing that anyway, and put some intentionality into being aware that this can occur. Typically, we can use our therapeutic spidey sense to tell when a client is afraid of losing us or self-sabotaging before they meet that final treatment goal, so adding this lens to the fold can really tie in pretty naturally. What if you're a parent, though, or the spouse? If you suspect your loved one's support network has become a compulsion for them, then I would recommend addressing it. I'm sure there have been a number of times you've thought or wondered, is this their OCD? and you've asked them. This is no different. 
At the same time, though, I would caution you to really ask, not accuse, because I think it's a fairly safe bet to say that most OCD sufferers can tell you how irritating it is when they're just trying to tell you something only to be met with, is this your OCD? Because that sounds like your OCD, and I don't respond to OCD. It can feel really invalidating. And while we don't want to feed the OCD monster, we still want to respect the person inside. So ask, maybe it is OCD, maybe it's not OCD. When in doubt, embrace the uncertainty. Ultimately, we don't have to know. And let me tell you, there's a lot of freedom in that. So, I was watching the Science Channel the other day about a program on lasers. According to this program, and I am inclined to agree, light travels faster than sound. I guess that's why some people appear to be bright until you hear them speak. <laughs> Actually, that one was kind of clever. Okay, are we feeling the dad joke vibe, y'all? I kind of like the iceberg one too, to be honest. I mean, and people say salads are boring. I'm glad we were able to talk about subtypes a little further. Ultimately, my main goal is to give you a reference point for how vast and how layered OCD can be. We will be diving into these themes more with different guests, so as much as it is a lot to wrap your mind around, I think it's helpful to have a point of reference or context for understanding. Bossing back OCD is rarely boring, though, so it can vary from person to person and it can look uniquely different for different people. But fortunately, the treatment and the tools are still the same. So you get to be different. I get to be different. And honestly, I think that's pretty special. And with that, let's roll into our intrusive thoughts segment. Intrusive thoughts. No matter how hard you push the envelope, it will still be stationary. Oh, Malcolm. I've enjoyed your company and all, but was that an intrusive thought? I know, I know. It's a dad joke. And you know... The only thing better than a dad joke is when you have to explain why that joke is funny. Because you see, the envelope is stationary. Yeah? Yeah? But I saved this dad joke for the intrusive thought segment because, ironically, this kind of is a message OCD likes to feed the sufferer all the time. No matter how hard you push the envelope, it will still be stationary. You will be stuck. And we sit, or we push, or we run the other way from this fear that no matter how hard we try, we will still be stuck. Ugh. But here's the reality. An intrusive thought isn't breaking news. It's not an explosion. It's not a standoff. It's not a call on our tip line where we have to go back and fact check everything. It's a thought. And in this case, it's a dad joke. And we can read meaning into anything. But hey, as long as the OCD brain is so great at the what-ifs, then why don't we try this one on for size? I'm going to give you a script that you can practice for yourself or with a loved one or store it away for a rainy day. I'll walk you through the form of the script first, and then I'll give you an example of what this looks like for me. Here's the script. What if this thought or feeling is true? What if it's not? The only thing I can know for certain is that there's uncertainty. If my value and purpose is to blank, fill in your value, then I'm choosing to give up blank. Enter your compulsion to gain blank, your goal. So what this practice looks like for me is this. 
What if this thought or feeling is true? What if it's not? The only thing I can know for certain is that there is uncertainty. So if my value and purpose is to have dinner with my family tonight or binge watch the newest season of Stranger Things, because if I'm going to be scared about something, y'all, I might as well have some fun with it, yeah? Then I'm going to give up my weekly research session about risk factors for different cancers to gain family time to celebrate that one of my kids just mastered how to pump his legs. Thank God, And I'm going to fold that maybe with some Netflix and chill. Yep, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and hey, while I can happily report that this is no longer a current spiral for me, it used to be. And remember, you don't have to have OCD to have intrusive thoughts. You just have to have a brain. So take the script for a spin. You'll see what I did there? The spiral, the spin. Mm -hmm. And uh, see if it can help you. And hey, I'll post the model script for reference on OCDFamilyPodcast.com as well. With that, our time is coming to an end. But hey, I'm really, really excited to host Christine Rodriguez of Clarity OCD and Anxiety Center next week. She's going to talk with us about space, and I don't mean a rocket ship. Curious to know more? Come join us. Mi casa es su casa. Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD Family Podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit ocdfamilypodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the download on the family chatter. Oh yeah. Nothing says family like when dad jokes drive us mad jokes. That's right. I went there. And you can too at ocdfamilypodcast.com.